beloved, you are now tuned in to Three Black Men, a podcast by three black men where we talk about theology, culture, and the world around us. The following content may not be suitable if you ain't real enough. Listener discretion is advised because real recognize real. Here's the hope when we look familiar. Stop, look, and listen, party people. I wanted to, on behalf of the three black men, give you some ways that you can support your favorite three black men. So uh, I wanted to say that, number one, you can like, rate, and review our podcast. So all you have to do is go on yeah, especially if you have Apple Podcast, just go ahead in the app, like, rate, and review. Okay? Um, but only if you have something positive to say. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so when you like, rate, and review our podcast, uh, it uh, increases our visibility uh, and it helps us to um, be more credible. It helps us to uh, gain sponsorships. Uh, So yeah, so like, rate, and review. Number two, share this pod on social media. So especially when we drop trailers, go ahead, retweet that on Twitter. (laughs) And yeah, go ahead and share. And lastly, you can support our Patreon. Uh, We'll have our Patreon link in uh, the description of our podcast episodes you can also follow us on twitter um so yes so those are a few ways that you can be um active in helping to support us and maybe you personally don't have a lot of money and you want to know what are some ways that i can encourage and amplify these brothers voices so those are ways that you can practically engage with us, amplify our voices and uh, the conversations that we are trying to put out there in the world. Amen and amen. All right, everyone, you know that we are intentional about the people that we bring on to our podcast. And so That is why it's a pleasure to say that the interview that you are about to hear is with the theologian Kat Armas. And so this interview, we talk about her new book coming out, Abolita Faith. And it is just such a pleasure that we got to talk to her, um, interact with her, hear the wisdom that brought forth this book into being and It was such an honor to learn um, from her and and, uh, all of the nuances and the depth that uh, are contained within her. um, Yeah, within her. And so I first actually heard of Kat through her podcast, uh, The Protagonistas. And I would ask that you would go over there to her podcast, listen to the wonderful conversations and the content that she curates over there. Um, Go and support her Patreon. And uh, this wonderful theologian just uh, produces so much um, wonderful content. And so I I just love it. 
And so be blessed in uh, this conversation. Please go pick up her book and support um, theologians that are out here uh, doing good work. This isn't a book about politics, obviously. This isn't a book about, you know, you know, communism versus, you know, whatever. Like, that's not what I'm writing about. Um, and I had gotten into that because I wanted to tease out the nuances. I wanted to tease out um, the history of, like, why Cuban-Americans um, experience the things that they do. You know, a lot of them, because they've, you know, it's an enclave. So they don't understand that the way that they're treated compared to so many Latino groups across the world, or excuse me, across this, the United States is very different. And Um, so there's just so much there's just yeah there and you know writing this book was really hard because I'm trying to I you know understand the trauma understand you know because my you know for example my uncle's story is very traumatic he was part of the Peter Pan group that um you know literally 10,000 um six to like 12 year olds were just shipped over to the US and put in foster homes and, you know, yeah. whatever. And so he was part of that group. And so they do have very traumatic stories. Um, but yeah, the experiences in Miami are so muddled with nuance and power and privilege and politics. And like what I said earlier about, um, about empire in the US, you know, um, it, a lot of it when they got here and people will hate me for saying this, but I mean, they bought into a lot of propaganda, you know, and a lot of U.S. propaganda and the yeah. U.S. loved, loved to push the communist card. The U.S. loved that. I mean, that was the narrative. The U.S. was like, this is, remember, this was in, in light of the, the Cold War and communism. I mean, it was just the perfect, perfect storm. And Cubans oh were the literal scapegoat. Like they were literally the scapegoat. They and so, and up you know yep oh my gosh mm. wow. i mean well that's not the first time that they've that yeah. the u.s has done the US. That, but oh, it, yeah. it, like it's terrible and and the, the crazy thing is it's like i'm reading this and i know you said you took out a lot but i was reading something and i was like yo i didn't learn this i did not like, learn this they, in school. They I, was I, like, I had cat no took idea that, <laughs> took that one school. vote was a response to not get this guy that the u.s was put and i was like what <laughs> yo we really be no well not we they really be nosy <laughs> I know, really. I um, <laughs> let me ask this question. Kat really took us to school. I um, so uh, you kind of open uh, the book, uh, setting uh, the scene in uh, when you were in seminary in your 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 first uh, seminary experiences, um, and kind of how that must have been traumatic for you, um, and the frustration that that was, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, and almost uh it seems to be that they wanted you to uh do theology from this normative lens and this uh um this uh neutral lens uh <laughs> and uh can you tell us just tease out just a little bit more of that i love how you describe it in a book and what that uh felt like from you like from your point of view, but just tell us a bit more about it. I love how you describe that from your point of view, but just tell us a bit more of what that felt like from you culturally, what it felt like from you as a woman. I, um, yeah, so you teased it out a little bit, but just mm -hmm. tell us a bit more. 
Yeah. Um, well, I remember a specific um, just experience. Like, I think I, I do mention this in my book, but it was in a hermeneutics class. And, um, and it was just like, you know, we were learning about the Bible and every example, every sort of like my professors from rural Mississippi and, you know, from a farm in rural Mississippi and every sort of the way that he was describing, you know, his exegetical, however he got there was from the lens of rural farm Mississippi, you know? And, and again, it was one of those things that I'm like, okay, I mean, this is, this, this resonates with everyone else in the room, but what, like I was raised in a small apartment outside little Havana. I had my first fake ID at 16 years old. Like, well, how does this have anything to do with my experience? Right. So how am I supposed to relate to God? Um, you know, when that's just a very obviously normative lens and that's the lens from which, you know, the examples are drawn from the understanding of life is drawn from. And so, you know, in my mind, I'm like, well, how do you, you know, I share a story, for example, in, in toward the end of the book about a woman that helped raise me. And, you know, she was a poor Cuban woman. She had immigrated later. Um, you know, and, and that's another thing, the earlier, the immigrants, the, you know, more power and privilege. And then the later the immigrants, the, the less power and privilege, I guess you want to say, but, you know, she, she lived in the heart of little Havana in a small apartment. And, um, she, you know, I spent a lot of time with her and, you know, one of the, the experiences with her, I mean, she, she had gone through a lot of trauma, you know, she was dealing with a lot of poverty, just a lot of things. And I just remember sitting in, in you know, that home with her and with her altar and our rosary, and we would sit there and we would pray and we would, you know, have these sacred and beautiful and holy moments that to me were just so, um, they were so sacred, they were so divine, they were so beautiful, you know, and then fast forward, I get to the seminary and oh my goodness, that that is just not even a framework for connecting with God, you know, um, that is just not even, so it was just these things, I'm having these, you know, sort of these ping pong in my mind of like, so those moments were just, you know, I, I don't understand that just, that doesn't make any sense to me. But of course I bought into it for a little bit. I really did. You know, I, I was passionate about, all right, yeah, like let's, you know, we have to exegete this exactly how and in historical and, you know, all these things. Um, but again, like I mentioned earlier, I just kept feeling further and further away from God, which is the opposite of what, you know, the goal was <laughs> as I'm in seminary. Um, and it, I just felt like this has nothing to do with me. Like Jesus, if this is what Jesus, or if this is what, you know, religion or whatever Christianity or the faith is supposed to be, this literally has nothing to do with me, nothing to do with the people that raised me with my community. Um, so what am I doing here? You know, and I remember that first week I, I literally took a walk and I'm like, literally, what am I doing here? Like, you know, like I'm a fish out of water. Um, yeah. So that was kind of that experience. What a moment. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you mind me asking, um, at what age you entered your, your first seminary? Yeah, I was, uh, I think about like 25, 26, maybe, or. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like that. I'm asking, because I just, I just realized that um a lot of times it's starting to skew a little bit older now, but I know like the, the further back you go, the younger people were in seminary, right? And I, yeah. um, I entered my first seminary at I think 24. It was, it was okay. 24. I was about to turn 24 as well. And I'm realizing that technically, and we don't think about it a lot, especially in the U.S. because, you know, you can join the army at 18, you can right. drink at 21, but your brain doesn't really stop, stop, like we're finished developing until you're around right. 25 or so. Right. And I think about the fact that like so many people go to these seminaries, these schools, and are convinced that 
everything that they had instilled in them to this point or all, all of their faith, particularly if, if you didn't go to this normative conservative evangelical type church or brought up in that faith, right. you're taught that your faith was somehow deficient. And it's a really mm-hmm. disorienting experience yeah. in so many different ways. Like, especially yeah. um, another another aspect we share, um, my, I, I come from immigrants. My father was uh, Jamaican. Like, um, um, so and on that side of my family, we're the first, like first gen born mm-hmm. here. And my grandmother was also a single woman. Uh, she, she had a... Uh, uh, five kids raised them up doing domestic work stuff like that and and brought Mm -hmm. some elements of faith with her but the fact that i could take all of that like this woman who was able to immigrate from jamaica and bring all of her kids over one by one and then somehow determined that that faith wasn't good like those schools really do a number on us so i asked about the age because um it's kind of cool and admirable i think almost a feat of strength to be able to say, you know what? No, it doesn't have to be this way. Mm. And to chart your own course, because right. um, I read your book shortly after I finished reading uh, In My Grandmother's House by Yolanda Pierce, mm. right? The Dean yeah. Of I was literally going to ask about this. (laughs) Look at us. Look look at God. Look Look at at God. I still haven't read that, so we can't ask too much about that. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to go into details. I haven't read it either. Okay. But it literally was reminding me about that. I'm like, this is especially after reading this. That's on the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways, go ahead, Trey. But yeah, but yeah, I'm asking because um, there's obviously the common theme. Like I would the faith um and then in my grandmother's house mm-hmm. redeeming some of those lessons that were passed down right. to you by, by the women who helped make you who you are today right um that's so powerful that's something that i've been sitting with for so long especially like my grandmother and i didn't even grow up in the same house as my grandma but on both sides of my family were such remarkable women um and even knowing what what i do know of you your, your podcast protagonistas right it's it's it, and and as best my understanding, I'd, I'd even look it up. I'm assuming that's like uh, female heroes, right? Or I'm sorry, not female, yeah. but women, lady, lady. Yeah, heroes. women of color in church leadership and theology. Yeah. Right. Okay. So e- even that, like the area of ministry that you've carved out for yourself in this book and this podcast and everything, I think, is so critical and important to people realizing that uh, there was the old book like we have been believers that all of this stuff that, that, that you grew up with is not deficient just because right. we don't read some more books and everything um, right yeah so and and, and i'm sorry the, the, the whole reason i asked about the age and everything because i think it's so critical for people to recognize that like even if you want to hit the charts and have your phd by 30 and everything there's so much important sound theology that you've <laughs> gleaned from so many people who didn't get the letters behind their right. name but um yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. I guess it's not even a question i just wanted to thank you for for, for highlighting that and driving it home for me robert did have a question though so <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, it wasn't even so wow look at look it's on my notepad <laughs> i i think i wanted to have you t- talk about that um <laughs> because i mean you haven't read uh, dr pierce's book but as I was reading your book and even how you describe um, your grandmother and women around you and their faith, mm-hmm. um, it just kept reminding me of Dr. Pierce's book mm-hmm. um, because Dr. Pierce was saying as she got older, she was able to appreciate so yeah. much of her grandmother. And, yes. she, and she just described like, as a young person, she couldn't appreciate her grandmother right. and even, yeah 
the survival tools that her grandmother mm-hmm. was trying to give to her. Um, she just, she called them like survival tactics and survival tools mm-hmm. is how she phrased it. Mm-hmm. And I remember just reading her book and crying. And then when I came to your book, I, I wrote on Twitter, I'm crying because mm-hmm. it gave me that twin dimension. I'm like, y'all, I'd be crying <laughs> like a lot because it's like the way that you, um, embodied your grandmother's uh uh tools that she gave to you just uh I I felt that like as Mm -hmm. you wrote I could feel that you were embodying um what was passed down right so Mm -hmm. even without you having read Dr. Pierce's work I'm like look at that so I know just so just unpack anything that you want to say about your grandmother's faith and the lessons of maybe unlearned women to the world, but like, what do you want to say about that? Yeah. Um, Well, first of all, I think Trey, that you made a good point about the age thing. And and also I know Rob, that you kind of made that connection with Dr. Pearson's book, because it's true, right? You know, as we get older, I think as we get older and we're doing surviving ourselves, right. And we're learning like, oh, wait a minute, I'm surviving and I'm, you know, I'm sort of existing here and my faith is going to take shape in different ways and different spaces and different, you know, whatever. Um, and it's not going to look the same. And as we're going through the journey of survival, we're realizing, oh my gosh, like I literally come from a legacy of survivors. Um, you know, yes. whether it's immigrant, yeah. Or, you know, as people of color, whatever, like we're, we're, we come from a legacy of survivors and we don't obviously understand that until we have to start surviving ourselves. You oh know? my gosh. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think for me, one of the big things, um, that really, you know, as I'm, so my focus, um, and I'm, yeah, I'm, I hope you can see through the book a little bit is, is a decolonized view of, um, you know, the Bible life, you know, whatever. And as I'm trying to lean into de- decolonizing, and I mean that like actually, deco- I know that's a buzzword right now. And I'm like, you know, I, there's actually like decolonizing is actually like a theory and like a field of study and like a, a thought, you know? Um, so as I'm trying to literally look at non-imperialistic ways of reading the Bible or trying to look at um, ways of being and knowing in the world um, that aren't, um, you know, and I do say this in the book, I am a Western person. So obviously everything's going to be filtered through a Western lens, but, you know, as I'm trying to investigate non-Western ways of being and knowing one of the things that really stood out to me, and this is why I made the connection with my grandmother was, you know, like you said, Rob, that embodied experience, like, you know, like survival, literally your body, like you're existing throughout the day and literally putting a plate of food on the table and like, literally like getting a thread and a needle and sewing a piece of clothing to sell it so that you can make money for your family. Like that is spirituality. And that's something that, you know, as we talked about, you know, as I'm going back to this, this faith of my grandmother, you know, and we come so far from that because, you know, the, the, the white elite Academy, you know, I mentioned um, after whiteness, Willie Jennings recent book, which is just phenomenal for me. Yeah. Oof, that, I mean, all his books are obviously <laughs> so wonderful, but that one really spoke to me because he talks about how, you know, we only value, um, you know, the white elite Academy, which is characterized by possession, control and mastery. Right. Um, and so we need to possess the knowledge. We need to master it. Um, you know, all these things. 
And that is the opposite of what our ancestors did. They're not trying to possess control or master anything. They're trying to live. And how do they do that through their bodies? And so that was something, you know, as I'm, I'm, you know, looking at non-imperialistic ways of reading scripture. And as I'm looking at these stories of these women, you know, um, who are just existing and are just like trying to survive. And I'm looking at my grandmother and how like she sewed. And that was actually such a spiritual experience. Like her, her olive green sewing machine and, you know, placing me on that table and, you know, putting clothes on me and how she, you know, in her making that clothes, like sold it for the women in the community. And I'm literally like, that's biblical, that's Tabitha, right? You know, and I'm just like starting to make these connections. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, or, or my grandmother, again, I have a chapter on dance and how she loved to dance. Um, you know, and that was a spiritual moment for her. I mean, they would go to a salsa bar, you know, once a week and they would dance. And as I'm looking at scripture and I'm thinking Miriam, like she led the community in dance. Like this is biblical and it is spiritual. And there are so many ways to connect with God that aren't um, just through the lens of the white elite academy, right? Um, there are ways to connect with God that are through our bodies, through our hands, um, through, you know, those kinds of things. And so that's something that, um, you know, as I'm decolonizing, I'm realizing that this embodied faith is the faith that has been not just passed down from our ancestors, like our direct ancestors, but from our ancestors in the Bible, right? Like yeah. women in scripture, that's how they, you know, I even think like in the chapter that I wrote about um, the midwives and Rizba, you know, and how like, it, I, I start seeing all these connections of how she literally made a basket from like the weeds. And like, that's, I mean, that's an embodied experience and the river and the mm -hmm. water. I mean, these are all ways that God is just, I mean, in everything, you know, and we have just minimized and just done all sorts of weird things to God. But anyway. <laughs> talked about a new segment we're gonna talk about uh what's on the front burner some some things um that that uh we are excited about personally as as individuals and bringing that and sharing that with y'all what's happening y'all trey here on the front burner this week let me start by saying that uh, one of my favorite rap artists currently is a dude by the name of tobe and Weegway. i hope i'm saying that right it's t-o-b-e N-W-I-G-W-E, Tobey and Eway, right? He's an incredible artist, great message, great skill, great package. The whole thing is just incredible. Like all his music videos feature him and his wife and now often on their two young children. Uh, matter of fact, he's a show enough believer, but he's not a Christian rapper like you would think of one. Like you would actually have to be listening and paying attention to his music and it's readily apparent but it's not something that he does overtly in a christian rap sense um, and he's dope in and of itself like on his own he's dope but what's on the front burner is this track that came out near the end of 2020 called father figure right by tobane weeway and he features two of the more like incredible rap talents ever right black thought the lead vocalist of the roots who is in my opinion the greatest rapper of all time and largely underappreciated uh, but he has a verse on there and uh Royce 59 a guy who came out, out of Detroit he was with Eminem way back in the day and he's an incredible rapper in his own right but the three of these dudes get together on this track and it almost hurt my feelings because I love Toby 
But man, these other brothers went and showed out. Black Thought gave a clinic and a voice to five mind just left earth on this verse. And I keep on playing this track back because it's some of the most incredible hip hop I've heard in a long time. So matter of fact, as soon as you're done with this episode, do yourself a favor and go check out this song, Father Figure by Tobey Nguyewe with Black Thought and Voice 5-9. It's an incredible track. You're not going to regret it. I don't even care if you don't like rap music. Just the the skill and the craftsmanship shown on there is worth checking out. That's on the front burner this go round. We now have a Patreon, which Patreon. I want to encourage each and every one of y'all to, to visit at uh, patreon.com slash three black men. Uh, think through it, pray through it, ask God uh, um, if, if he would have you partake in this work that we're doing because on top of some bonus content here, we have uh, some blog pieces going up. There's going to be some devotional content coming out and I want to encourage you guys um, to visit that Patreon, patreon.com slash three black men. Go watch and, um, my kids ruin my videos. Go ahead. Watch, watch them. <laughs> them. Them babies ain't ruin nothing, man. As a matter of fact, there's more people going to sign up to, to see them babies. How about that, bro? <laughs>